0: from a uh, trip with uh, some kids, and he could use some prayer. He also said he could use some muscle this afternoon if you're interested in helping him move. Maybe you're feeling a little ambitious today, but that'd be great. Otherwise, you can lift him and help lift heavy boxes in prayer. How about that? We are in a series, and we have been this summer. It's out of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, which is not always the first book you might pick. I had someone uh, come up to you this week, and like, hey, I want to start reading the Bible. Yay! Where do I start? Probably not Nehemiah. But it's such a rich story, and what it's about is rebuilding. It's an excellent, excellent story for us in this season because it's really a biblical lessons for rebuilders. And I think many of us can find ourselves in stages of life and in our faith life where we just want to rebuild, want to start the foundations fresh. And for that, I would say, yeah, Nehemiah is actually probably going to be a great book for you. Uh, so it's been a very inspiring story. We're in the middle of it, or kind of getting towards this, the, the last sort of chapters of it. Um, about renewal and restoration of God. And again, this may be helpful for you in your personal walk. It may be helpful for us in our corporate sense, us as a church, or even us as the capital C church in culture, as we seek to rebuild God's kingdom fresh in where we are placed today. This morning, we're going to look at two chapters. not going to cover every word of it, but I'm going to give you the heart of it, which is going to be chapters 8 and 9, Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9. And I'll give you a preview just because I, I like to make sure we stay on task with it. It's about the impact on the people as God's word is preached to them. Okay, how relevant is that? The impact on the people like you as the word of God is being preached to them. We're going to see that they receive this word with such delight and such transformation. It should be inspiring to us. Hopefully as has it been to me uh, this morning as we prepare to receive the elements of communion. So I have a a reading for us this morning, but it's not out of Nehemiah. It's out of Hebrews, but it's relevant to today's uh, reading from Nehemiah. I'd love if you could stand one more time for me, please. We're getting our exercise this morning. And I want us to read this passage together. This is Hebrews chapter 4, 12 to 13. Together we say, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Let me pray before we sit. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for your holy word from the very beginning, first pages to the last pages. It is your word breathed. And Lord, we thank you that it is also described as a two-edged sword, and we submit ourselves before it and you today by your spirit, God. Would you encourage us to be people of the word, and in spirit we pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. All right, so we have been looking at Nehemiah, which again, uh, interesting book, but it really is chaptered out pretty, pretty easily. In the first two chapters, Nehemiah, who actually wasn't a prophet, Kind of interesting, right? Normally, the you think of Old Testament, you think of prophets. He actually is not labeled as a prophet. He was a cupbearer, a, a wine steward, uh, a sommelier by trade. But he had this inspiration as he was working for the king, who was not a godly king. As he saw the people starting to come back to his native Jerusalem, the walls of the city were so broken down. It was so embarrassing and so sad he asked the king and he first prayed to God, like, would you give me favor so I could go back and rebuild the walls of my precious city? Amazingly, the guy, the king said yes. And again, this is like us going to our boss and saying, hey, I want to go help rebuild my church. Can I take a couple of months, maybe even years off, to go do some work at the church? Yes, go ahead. In fact, here's the company credit card to help pay for some of it. That's the favor that God did for him. Isn't that amazing? So, Nehemiah goes and he starts getting the people together. He's apparently very gifted at organizing. And from chapters 3 to 7, he's been doing the work of rebuilding. Okay, and instead of, you know, four chapters of him just laying brick upon brick, there's been opposition. Both from outside, people like, what are you doing trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem? It, it should be a garbage dump. To those who are inside, too, who are saying, this is such hard work and it's, it's never going to work. And so he has to kind of press through and stay positive, and stay on task. And now we're in that last section of the book of Nehemiah, starting in chapters 8 and 13, where he's finished. The walls have been rebuilt, and now it's about dedication and consecration of not just the city, but the people who will dwell within, which has been Nehemiah's point the whole time. What he was encouraged to do was to create a sacred space where he and his people could worship God and in, in spirit and in truth. That's what he was inspired to do, create a sacred space, just our own little space here where we can just worship God and maybe have a place of, of truth and of God's spirit. And, and, yes, that's a good quality. We're going to see later in the book that, like many Jewish uh, 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 books, it doesn't end super happy. And he actually this idea of him kind of walling off and setting up sacred space God always wants it to be more porous. He wants people to be able to join him in that. And and, and Nehemiah kind of has this vision of, no, I think we want to be separatists. So it kind of ends in a strange way. Spoiler alert for you on that. (laughs) On a a thousands of year old book. But today, uh, Nehemiah is going to be joined in his work by a very special guest. I would almost say a very special guest star of his own Old Testament book. Ezra is going to join Nehemiah in his work. Now Ezra, maybe you've heard of him. That is also another book in the Bible. Ezra has been busy on his own. He also is not a prophet. He would be considered like a scribe. And what he's been doing is preserving God's word. He's been writing it, rewriting it, translating it, and then reordering the books. Actually, according to Jewish lore, Ezra is one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament because he may have been responsible for delivering the, the translation that we base English on today and even the ordering of the books. He was very, very good at that. He, too, has been executing his own plan to help rebuild, but in his mind, it wasn't about the walls. It was the altar and the temple. That's what he was looking to rebuild because he wanted the people, again, to be together and to worship God in spirit and in truth. So both guys, Nehemiah and Ezra, have been working together about rebuilding the nation of Israel, who is God's covenant people, as they've been returning home from a time of political exile. They've been exiled, of course, as we know, because they were disobedient to God's word in the first place. And so they were scattered for up to about 50 years. Now they're starting to come back together. Nehemiah is trying to set the walls up, create sacred space. Ezra is saying, okay, let's have the word, let's have the temple, let's have the altar, and let's worship together. So both guys have been working together on the same effort now they're going to combine forces in what you would generally call a special crossover episode. Anybody familiar with special crossover episodes? If you if you know me a little bit, you know I actually used to work in television before I came to Christ and then I entered into ministry, and so part of my part of my work was to work on promoting things like crossover episodes. And I'm old enough to remember how exciting it was when Fonzie joined Laverne and Shirley for like a super special episode. Or how about the time that It blew my mind when ALF, I think, went to the different strokes uh, storyline and those two things combined. Maybe you're starting to remember what you're talking, like crossover episodes where characters from maybe two different shows combine into one effort. Uh, uh, You know, I was thinking about in pop drama, of course, you know, maybe some of you are primetime show addicts. I know there's a few of you Chicago Fire fans out there because my son did a little bit. Uh, as a cameo in one episode two years ago, and people told me they watched it, but what about those amazingly powerful special nights when the city's burning and all of the cast of Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, and Chicago PD come together for one special crossover event? <laughs> it's when characters from different timelines, but they exist in kind of the same space, come together and share their efforts and Chicago must really be in trouble when all three of those need to get together. But this is what's happening here with Nehemiah and Ezra. It's a special crossover episode in chapter 8 as Nehemiah joins, uh, as Ezra is joining Nehemiah. He makes an appearance, Ezra comes, and he's bearing the books of the law, God's word, that again he has preserved, that he's translated, and because he's been so focused on God's word, he gets it, he understands it. And he can communicate it with relevance. It's such a great moment. And I want you to see this morning as we open up this word that as Ezra preaches God's word to the people, they're changed. The way they respond is profound. First of all, they receive it with such joy and such reverence and such. Uh, 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 pleasure because they haven't heard the word in 50 years. An entire generation has grown up without ever hearing the precious words from the book. Stories have been passed on probably from memory, but imagine that if you had to pass on your faith from memory, from what you remember about God's word, instead of having the books to read. So Ezra's here, he's got the book of the word, and the people respond, and I'm just giving you the heads up so we can see it as we open up God's word. They receive it, and they start their turn towards adoration. Adoration meaning adoring or praising God as great and holy. They, they hear the word preached, and without a call, they are moved to confess their sins. We'll see even in the book today, some are weeping because they're so convicted by God's word and truth. They receive uh, the word from Ezra, God's word, and it calls them to dedication, rededicate their lives, committing themselves to living out God's purposes for themselves as a people. And so this is the story I want us to enter into, this special crossover episode as Ezra joins Nehemiah in chapter 8. Let me pray again as we open up this holy word. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for keeping this word precious to us and preserved, again, all of these many, many centuries, that the very words that we are reading here, the accounts we are reading, are not only accurate, but they're true, and they're correct, and they're precious. Well, Lord, uh, to have the impact that Ezra had on his people, that, that escapes me. I can't do that. I could never maybe preach the word with that kind of efficiency that it stirs us towards adoration and confession and dedication. And that's, Lord, because I'm not you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us as you've spoken to me this week and stir our hearts towards wonder and awe and even conviction and grace and your love As we spend time in the company of your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So as the seventh month and the people of Israel began to settle into their towns, and all the people gathered together in the square, they were before the water gate, and then the scribe, Ezra, he brought forward the books of Moses. How powerful would that have been to see that? He's carrying the books in, in the scrolls. And these are the words that the Lord had given to Israel. And then the priest Ezra brought the book of the law to the assembly, and there were the men and women and all who were old enough and of age to be able to hear it with understanding. And then he read it to them. He read it to them. All who could understand it. You know, that hints that, again, like they were probably of age. It wasn't maybe a lot of, of children there, but it also hints at something deeper than that. Their, their eyes or their hearts were open to receive God's word. It had been 50 years since they have heard God's word read in its context, and their ears were attentive. It says later in in Nehemiah, their ears were attentive to the book of the law. It wasn't just they were there of age, you know, I can understand the language. They were there present, ready to hear, ready to be stirred by God's word. There was such eagerness. And then as Ezra begins to open the word, it says he opens it up, and there's Many companies standing around him. In verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was standing above them. When he opened it, all the people stood up too. Again, this is such a powerful moment. He's not saying stand up for a reading. They just stand because they sense the reverence, reverence and holiness. And then Ezra then started by blessing the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. All the people answered out loud, amen, amen. And they were lifting up their holy hands. They just broke out into spontaneous worship at the reading of God's Word isn't that amazing? He hasn't even gotten into the meat yet and they're already standing at attention, not being called out they're they're attentive, they're awake, and as he says, you know, God is so good our great and holy God, they're so stirred by just that already they're on their feet and they're raising their hands, amen, amen, we agree, we agree they're already stirred towards adoration, imagine that I do Maybe even as we were this morning opening up God's word to a simple passage, a powerful passage like Hebrews chapter 12, but to stand with such reverence and awe, I I missed that. To stand with such reverence and awe. God is so great. He's given us his word this morning. Yes. Amen. Amen. He's so good. He's so great. Then as that opening begins, and he's just getting started, Ezra, it says he read from the book, the book of the law, and he read with interpretation He read it so that it made sense to them. And the people understood what he was reading. Again, he was was preaching to them is what he was doing. Isn't that ironic? You're hearing preaching about preaching, and that's what he's doing. He's opening up the word, and he's revealing it to them in a way that they're getting it. They're grasping it. It made sense to them. They understood what he was saying. And then as the word was being preached, it says that Nehemiah, who was uh, with the governor, and Ezra the priest... And the Levites were there, and they were all going around and teaching the people what the word was saying. It's happened all morning, by the way. And They said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. You don't need to cry or weep. And they said this because the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law read over them. Hey, there's no need to cry, guys. There's no need to cry, They were feeling, experiencing something that we don't like to experience much anymore, which is this conviction, a sense of conviction. I was thinking about last week when when Pastor Joy was preaching us so well about the call towards community, and she, she gave a very good illustration about an ember out of a fire that was kind of pulled out and it kind of went out very quickly as opposed to being in the fireplace with all the rest of the embers and together burning. Again, that was a great illustration about just the need for us to remain always in community if we want to stay hot in our faith walk together. This would be like at that moment when she said that for someone to stand up and feel weeping and just say, that's me, I'm that ember. I pull myself out, I keep myself aside, that's me, that's me. Now I say that because again that's a sense of conviction we generally don't like to experience that much anymore this idea of conviction. I had a pastor once say early in my walk, he reminded me that the best day of our life is actually probably the worst day of our life. And it's those times that we look at ourselves and realize our deep need for God's grace. And that's exactly what's happening here. Ezra's just started reading the word and they're, they're starting to weep because they realize, boy, we fall so far short of that and he's such a good and great and holy God what do we do in that tension and I love that Ezra and his pastoral care is like no no you don't need to cry you don't need to cry that much this is still a great and good day we can celebrate even as God is convicting us and stirring in our hearts well next as he continues to read from the books of the law they realize there was a celebration that they had missed out on it says they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should live in booths or tents during the festival of the seventh month, which, by the way, they were in the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their towns in Jerusalem as it follows, go out into the hills and bring branches and olives and and myrtle and and palms and other leafy trees to make tents or booths, because that's what is written, and the people do it. They leave their homes that they were freshly built and go out through and, and bring all these uh, elements they need and start making tents and booths for themselves. This goes on day after day. They keep reading from God's word and they keep celebrating the feast and the festival, experiencing great awe and wonder in their worship and conviction in their spirit. And they're rededicating themselves to living out of God's greater story. Remember the festival of booths and tents is all about remember that time that God led us to the wilderness he's still leading us today and so they're rededicating themselves to that ancient story which is still going today God is still leading us in his story of redemption today so I wanted you to see that this morning that as Ezra read from the word of God the people were stirred towards profound adoration, which is, again, a nice way of saying worship of a great and holy God. They were stirred towards recognition of their need for grace. God have mercy on us. They were convicted of their sin and the ways they haven't been living in accordance to God's word. And they dedicated themselves, rededicated themselves, to living in his purpose for their lives. This went on for seven days, and on the eighth day they celebrated can you imagine that it's hard to if we had church here every morning all day for the next week that ended in some great celebration which would be fun (laughs) this is revival this is what's called revival and it was impacting the entire people it was relevant to individuals hearts god was being praised i look at this and i wonder what kind of preacher was Ezra? He must have been powerfully anointed to get that kind of effect, don't you think? I mean, he just opened up the word and he started preaching. and word one, people are praising God. Word two, they're crying. Word three, they're dedicating themselves. Maybe he had some great gift of, you know, of a great orator. I don't know. Maybe he had a, a voice like Rob, that big tenor. I don't know. I hope he did. But I don't know if he did. I don't know if he did. God doesn't always lift up people with great voices. Think about the Apostle Paul who, even in the, in the book of Acts, was preaching for so long, you know, he put some guy to sleep and he fell out of a window and died. They took care of him. It was okay. He, he got back up. I think it wasn't just Ezra's oration. It wasn't just his, his art of speaking. It's that the people were there. They were craving again the pure milk of God's word, the pure milk of God's word, and it was effective. But what Ezra does, read from the word, translate it to try to make it uh, understandable, give them some point of application, that's actually what we pastors do every week, all three of us. We we do it in our own different little ways, but we all do it exactly the same. There's really three basic questions of biblical preaching, and this is true whether or not we're doing an expository type series, which is like today, we're reading of, of God's word and working through challenging passages together. Or even if we do a topical series, you know, we've got one coming up on on what is worship. Um, It's always based in God's word. What does God's word say? What does God's word say? We read it, we read it in real time. We read it present, right now. And this is where issues of translation might come in or translation of ideas. There may be idioms or phrases or concepts in there that that we need to translate out a little bit more to make it clear. But basically we're asking ourselves first, What does God's word say? Individual passages, stories, pericopes, paragraphs, books, in the context of the whole book, what does the word say? That's always the first question we try to answer. The next one is, what does it mean? What do we do with it? And for that, we often look back at the cultural context. What did it mean when they they heard it first? What was going on in that situation that God was addressing by his word? How is that relevant to us today? We're going to get to that in the third question. But this is where we get to this idea of cultural context. What was God teaching his people back then about himself? And how can we learn from that? Then the third question, what do we do with it? And you can see there's a lot of time jumps here, right? We read it in the present, we go back in the past to see what it means, and then we come back in the present and go, what do we do with this today in our modern trappings with our, our cell phones and you know, homes and multiple cars. What do we do with this? This is the point of application. Where do we go? How do we dedicate ourselves to living this out? This is what draws us to consider how to live out God's word with more intentionality in our lives. What do we do with this today? Now, I have to say, more often, our tendency is to protect ourselves from the power of God's word. No longer... I would say, does God's word have the natural authority that it did back then when they weren't distracted by much? And have Ezra come to town and open the books with the word? That was the hot ticket of the day. There was no other distractions really for them. They were focused on that. Our tendency, though, is to protect ourselves from the authority authority of God's word. We do have some command over it. God gave us some command over it. I can decide what days and what times I might pick up God's word and read. I can decide what book I read and what books I choose not to read. We also decide how we take it in or how we might even feel about particular passages or ideas that God's word communicates. We might even choose to cut parts out of the scriptures that make us feel uncomfortable or parts that we don't agree with. I'm super aware that contemporary Christianity tells us over and over again that God is only going to be positive and encouraging. He's he's a big friendly, not always a holy God. He's also so full of grace. Well, there's no need for me to be aware or to catalog my own sin. Contemporary Christianity might tell me that God only wants to bless my plans, not ask me to conform my life to his kingdom and his word. And so we do exactly that. We bring other ideas over God's Word, philosophies that we've picked up or things that we've experienced, our feelings, cultural or, yes, even political values. We put those on top of God's Word. Maybe scientific advancements that seem to tell us another story. Or how many of us often pay big money and effort to send our kids to the very best schools, and then we're shocked when they come back too smart for God? Or we start to adopt pluralistic worldviews and say, really, it doesn't matter. God's word is one authority among all. See, that's what happens when we cover over God's word. But that day, God's people craved the pure milk of God's word and truth, and it stirred their hearts to adore God, to confess their sins, and rededicate their lives. That's what can be done when God's word, when we let it be what it is, a two-edged sword capable of cutting into our hearts and doing surgery on our souls. When we unmask its power to draw us into humble adoration of a God who is so great and so powerful and so over us and, yes, so for us. When we keep sharp the word's ability to convict, convict us, in loving ways of confessing our own sinfulness and call us into repentance of our thinking and of our actions. This is what happens when we let the word have its power to move us towards rededicating our hearts, minds, and strength to living for God and and filling in his kingdom purposes. This is what it means, my friends, as the passage that we read of letting God's word work in us to keep it sharp, to let it reshape our understanding of how great God is, to lead us into humble worship with him as we see ourselves loved by his unfailing, merciful heart. May we be a people of God's word and spirit who are on mission in a world that needs rebuilders. Let me pray as we prepare our hearts to receive of communion. The passage I'm going to read to you now, I'm going to pause on parts of it to give us time to reflect. This is based on the prayer from Nehemiah chapter chapter 9. It's little segments of that, little snippets. And my hope is, again, it's going to stir us towards adoration, maybe confession today, dedication of our lives before God. And the prayer begins this way. It says, stand up and bless the Lord your God. We bless you, God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, Lord, which is exalted above all blessings and praises. You are the Lord. God, you alone. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, with all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you have preserved them all. The very host of heaven worships you, God. Now take a moment in the space of your heart. Share with God your adoration, your awe, and your praise. And as the people heard the word of God, they realized that they and their fathers have acted proudly, were stubborn before God, did not obey their commandments, and they confessed their sins. We say to God, neither have I. Take a moment and confess your sins before your most holy God. We learn from scripture this morning that you God are always ready to forgive And as Ezra prayed you are gracious and merciful slow to anger always abounding in steadfast love and you will never forget us maybe this morning you need to accept fresh the gift of forgiveness his grace and his release that come in the name of our Lord Jesus, who died for our sin and who was raised so that we could have the certainty of new and eternal life in him. Take a moment and accept fresh the gift of his grace and love. now lord as the people were reminded that they are part of a much bigger story and they celebrated the great feast we do the same as we posture ourselves towards communion that ancient meal that was consecrated by our lord jesus reminded us that every time we receive of the elements we do so in his name remembering his sacrifice we thank you for your grace your love your truth. Continue to wash us, Lord, by your spirit. And now, look, friends, with our hearts in humble posture, I remind you what Ezra said to the people that day. This is not a day of weeping. The Lord is here, and he desires us to eat and to drink together, for the joy of the Lord is our strength.